As you are seated, we will dismiss our kingdom kids. Those children ages four through nine have a program specially for them that is takes place over at our CE Center. The teacher is meeting them right now in the foyer, and we'll take them across there. If you're a parent and you've sent your kids, then you'll want to go get them right after the service. That uh, if, if those workers have blessed you during this time, you want to bless them by getting your kids right after the service. So we appreciate that. Uh, and would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 will be our text this morning, verses 14 through 33. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one not far from you in the pew, and page number for that edition is listed in the order of service. There's an outline on the back of the worship folder to help you follow along this morning. One of our missionaries regularly ends her newsletters to us with the question, how can you hold the rope? How can you hold the rope? Maybe you've heard her use that phrase even in the presentations here as well last year. Audrey, I won't mention her name further or the place where she serves for security reasons over the internet here. But Audrey asks us that question. How can you hold the rope? I wonder if you know where that phrase comes from, that expression. It was back in October of 1792. So this month, 230 years ago, a young pastor in England named William Carey and some others formed the Baptist Missionary Society, and they agreed that Carey and a medical doctor, John Thomas, would travel to India from England to India, taking the message of Jesus Christ. And in those days, that was a radical undertaking. This there was not a common thing in that time, virtually unheard of, so that Carey has since become known as, as something of the father of modern missions. Now, one of the other uh, partners in that group uh, by the name of John Ryland wrote this about that significant moment. He said, Our undertaking to India really appeared to me on its commencement to be somewhat like a few men who were deliberating about the importance of penetrating into a deep mine which had never before been explored. We had no one to guide us. And while we were thus deliberating, Carrie, as it were, said, Well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. But before he went down, he, as it seemed to me, took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that while we lived, we should never let go of the rope. That's why our missionary asks us, will you hold the rope? It's often quoted because it communicates two powerful things. The, the work of the missionary, which often means venturing into the unknown at, at some personal risk, the work of the missionary and the help of the church providing support that makes that venture possible. We're going to see both aspects in our passage today at the end of Romans 15. The message for us is really the same as it was for those believers in Rome. Here's the, the theme today. Catch the vision of missionary work and commit to help as the church. Catch the vision of missionary work and commit to help as the church. Let me pray briefly for us once more. Father, I ask that you would help me, help us to receive this word as you would have us receive it. We, we need to hear it. We need to feel the, the weight 
and we need to feel the, the, the opportunity, sense the opportunity that is here, the power and the privilege that you give us to serve you in this way. Help us now to hear from you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I said, our passage today is verses 14 to 33, but I'm going to read right now, I'm going to back up and read the last part of last week's passage and the first part of this week's passage. So, for right now, just verses 8 to 21, Romans 15, starting with verse 8. Paul says, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written... Those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is God's word. Now let's get into the first part. First part's going to be about the work of the missionary. What is the work of the missionary? They bring all people as an offering to God through the gospel. Now, if I'm looking at, at verses 14 and 15, I, could, I feel like I could address you, this congregation, in much the same way. There's a lot of good things going on in this church. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of biblical knowledge, plenty of people who are competent to teach among us. I, I know that you know the gospel, but, but you need a bold, bold reminder. And that, that bold reminder is not about, about this passage so much. It was all those chapters before. So in one sense, we've been going through the letter to the Romans just like Paul, Paul said, they needed a bold reminder. We need a reminder of what the gospel is, what it's all about, uh, what, what part the gospel plays in, in God's plan for all of humankind and for all of, of human history. So all those chapters before, talking about the gospel, its implications for our lives as individuals within the fellowship of the church, outward admission here then in Romans 15 verses 8 and 9, the first verses I read this morning, Paul said, this is why Jesus came. 
not only to fulfill the promises given to Israel, but to bring people from all nations into God's mercy for his glory. Or or maybe a a quick review. Chapter 1 of Romans, Paul has said, all of humankind fell into sin, exchanging the glory of God for the lesser glory of idolatry and immorality. In chapter 3, he said, all have sinned, both Jew and Gentile, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But here, through the redemption that is in Christ, we can return to glory. We, we are saved for God's glory. And so Paul, the New Testament missionary, frames his ministry in terms of an Old Testament priest. Not that, that Paul is coming into the temple and offering sacrifices for sin. Jesus took care of that already. But on the basis of Christ's sacrifice... Paul is bringing those who had been unclean and impure are now able to come into the presence of a holy God as an unblemished offering of worship. Maybe you remember back at the beginning of chapter 12 where Paul used similar language. He said believers like you and me uh, should offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to, unto God, which is uh, our fitting worship. It's only reasonable that we would offer ourselves to Him. He is the one who made us. He's the one who redeemed us. And here, Paul, the missionary, is the one bringing the offering. People, and wh- what's he bringing? People from every corner of the globe as a gift for the greater glory of God. And Paul wants us to catch that vision. He wants the church in Rome to catch that vision. He, this word for us today, we need to catch this vision that changes how we think about the, the what and the why of missions. What missionaries do is not simply making converts for Christianity. We're not just trying to turn Muslims into Christians. We're not just trying to, not, or trying to turn Catholics into Protestants. It's, it's more than that. Uh, it's, not, it's not just saving souls from hell. Of course, it is about that. But, but get the bigger picture. It's about turning those who, again, in terms of chapter 1, those who dishonor God through their sin. When they were, when they were created to bear His image, to reflect His glory, but they dishonor God to turn those who dishonor God into those who bring Him glory, who glorify God the Lord. And that's the why of missions. The greater glory of God should be our our motivation. This is what gets the missionary up in the morning. The greater glory of God as reflected in the lives of people. Now, does that mean we, if we say the why of missions is the greater glory of God, does that mean we we only care about God and we don't care about people? It, It doesn't have to be an either or thing. Some of you, if you've reached that stage of life where, where your, your grandparents, um, you have, maybe are, uh, you've got that blessing, and you also reach the, the point in life perhaps where the, the best gift that you could get would be a visit from your kids, grandkids, maybe even great-grandkids. That's, that's what you really want. And, and if that's what you want the most is for them to be with you, it, it's not that you're now reducing them to objects or to playthings. No, you, you delight in them. And in some sense, they are your glory. You understand that? So the, it's the same with, with missions, the work of evangelism. In love, we are seeking to give people the best possible thing, life with God, life in God. And we want to give God the glory that he is due through the worship of those who bear his image. They're the image restored 
to his likeness, sinners made holy. But we have to ask ourselves, reading this, is that what we want? Do, do we, have we caught this vision of, uh, of missions, of for the greater glory of God, we, we want to reach all people? If we're, if we're not concerned with, with giving God what He deserves, bringing all people, all kinds of people, from all kinds of places, what does that say about how we think of people? Hmm, not that valuable. What does it say about how we think about God? Eh, not that worthy. Do we have some repenting that we need to do? Some sense of confession? Like, God, I, I know I'm not looking at people like you do. I'm not as concerned with your glory as I ought to be. Now, this is not an exact parallel, but I think it's worth thinking about. This, this building is not a temple. And Paul, when Paul's talking about bringing a, a, an offering of people, he's, he's talking about them coming to faith, uh, becoming disciples, believers in Jesus. But could, could we even imagine coming to church on a Sunday morning and saying, I don't want to come empty-handed. I want to bring someone with me. That's, that's a, a powerful vision for thinking of just of the simple act of bringing someone with you to church. I pray that we would be captured by this vision, this incredible privilege that the missionary is able to come into the presence of a holy God with a gift that shows God to be most precious. That there is nothing better than a human could have than to know Him, and there is nothing more that God wants than to be glorified in us. That's a vision for missions. That's, that's the work of the missionary. The work of the missionary to bring all people as an offering to God through the gospel. And so, and here's the next part, what is the work of the missionary? They take the gospel to all people in the power of God. Okay, we want to bring all people to God? Well, if we're going to do that, we've got to take the gospel to all people. Now, I've been using they in these first two points, not that missionaries are the only ones who tell other people about Jesus, but because this passage is about those like Paul or like William Carey that I mentioned in the introduction, they, they, the kind of people who leave behind their home, their uh, family, extended family, and their culture of origin to take the gospel to, a new, to new people in new places, places that are foreign to them. Verse 19b says that the second part of verse 19 here, uh, Paul says, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So uh, if you can think of the Mediterranean Sea, you probably maybe can't picture it too well, but on the east side, let's say it's the clock face, all right? So uh, number three on that side of the clock is Jerusalem, maybe four and he's been working around counterclockwise through Israel and Syria and modern-day Turkey and modern-day Greece and Macedonia. He's not even to 12 o'clock yet, but, he, but he's reached all the way to Illyricum, which would be uh, modern-day Albania, maybe even Serbia. Um, he, he's getting around, but he hasn't made it to, to Rome yet, to, to today's Italy. But, but what he has traveled, if, I mean, if you were to drive that today, you're, we're talking about more than 15 hundred miles in if you drove it from point A to point B, but of course he's all over in between. If you want to bring people to God as an offering, you've got to take the gospel to all people. And for Paul, that becomes his 
ambition. Other translations have this as his aim. Like, this is what I'm driving at. So, right after where I just read, so the beginning of verse 20, and thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard of heard will understand. So, it's, it's verses like those I just read, including that quotation from Isaiah 52, I mean, we're talking about the lines right before Isaiah 53, some of you know the significance there, that these lines have spurred on the missionary movement of the last nearly 50 years to focus on what has been called the unreached people groups. Have you heard that term? You probably heard that term in missions uh, emphasis Sundays here. So while there are only 195 countries, geopolitical nations in that sense, countries with borders and governments and so forth, 195 countries, there are more than 12,000 people groups, people with distinct languages and cultures. And according to peoplegroups.org, more than 7,000 of those 12,000 are considered unreached. Now, they may have a, a handful of believers among thousands or millions of people, but there's no established church, there's no uh, established way for people to come into contact with the gospel, maybe just a handful of believers. And of, again, of that 12,000, there are 3,000 that are unengaged, meaning no gospel witness at all. 12,000 people groups, 7,000 unreached, no established church, 3,000 unengaged, no gospel witness at all. That's today. Now, it was, it was statistics like those that got the attention of a young couple named Brooks and Nina Buser. The Busers had ambitions, ambitions more in the American dream uh, sense of the word. Not long out of college, uh, Brooks started rising up the corporate ladder. He, he eventually became the, the CFO of a Dutch multinational uh, company, and in 2003, walked away from a beautiful home in San Diego area. Uh, they were both driving Mercedes-Benz, I mean, they, and they walked away from that to take the gospel to the Yembe Yembe people of Papua New Guinea, teaching them how to, first, learning their, their language of the, of the people that they, were, they came to, then teaching those people how to read and write in their language, their own language, translating much of the Bible, and after 13 years had established church uh, with its own leadership from, from the people themselves. Now, I mean, that kind, of, that kind of work takes ambition, it takes vision, courage, grit, drive, persistence, the kind that apparently Paul had. But there's another crucial dimension that we have to see in this passage, because ultimately the work gets done not because of gutsy people, but because of God's plan, God's power. Paul mentioned back in verse 15 that his role as a minister of the gospel, was grace. It was God who gave him this responsibility, who gave him this privilege. It was God who enabled him to do the work. It, this is from God. It's not from me. But then look again at verses 17 and following. 17, he says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, and we might 
maybe catch there, well, really, is that, is that good? But, uh, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God, but then he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. God's power in making His Word effective through Paul's preaching. God's power in overcoming spiritual and political opposition. Read the book of Acts. See, see God working through Paul to cast out demons, to overcome the attempts of authorities to, to quash the preaching, squash the preaching of the gospel, to stop His work. The work of the missionary needs both of those dimensions still today. We need more people like the abusers to choose a different ambition. The aim of seeing more people introduced to Christ around the world. People who will accomplish great things to be proud of, humanly speaking, but their only boast is in what Christ has accomplished through them. Maybe some of the next Brooks or Ninas are sitting in this room praying the prayer, God, is this what you want me to do with my life? May it be so. This is the work of the missionary. Now we're going to look to see how the church can help. So let's go back to the text. We're going to pick up with verse 22. And I'll just read the next paragraph, 22 to 29. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. All right, we're now in the second major section of the sermon here this morning. How does the church help? We continue the work of the gospel in our own region. Now, the two points that follow this one are a little more obvious from the text. This one, kind of subtle, but I think there really is something here for us to notice. So remember, uh, verse 19, Paul had said, from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And verse 23 but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and the, and the fact that then he wants to take the gospel where nobody's heard, that means he plans to go to Rome, and, and he doesn't want to stay there. You know, there's believers there already. He wants to go from there to get to Spain. That's, no, nobody's heard about Jesus in Spain. That's where I want to go. Now, but, but stop and think. He says he's fulfilled his ministry from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Fulfilled the ministry uh, in that whole region, 1,500 miles. No, he, I no longer have any room for the work. 
So did Paul evangelize every village and town? Did Paul preach the gospel to every individual? Uh, of course not. Now, apparently, this takes, but, but this is not just my opinion. These are, this is the, uh, what other scholars put, how put this together. Apparently, Paul's strategy was to go to key cities, population centers throughout the Roman Empire and that part that he's working in, preach the gospel, make disciples, gather them and, into established churches, and then move on. Now, don't miss this. Sometimes that meant staying months or even years at a particular city, um, not just to, uh, to get the church established, like, well, we need a building and we need to, you know, a budget, not, not, not established in the sense of there are, there are people that are grounded in the faith with uh, leadership appointed to look after them. Read the book of Titus for, as one example. There's, there's more things to be done. We got to get those who are responsible to look after the sheep uh, before we can move on. Now, here's the important implication for us. He seems to expect, uh, well, well, let me back up one, say one more thing. So he's, he's working in population centers. He's staying for months, maybe even years. It's, that, that could have included, yes, little short trips to outlying areas. But I think the clear implication is he seems to expect the believers in the churches that he planted to make sure their own region was fully saturated with the gospel. Does that make sense? He's, he's not stopping at every point along the way. Uh, he's making strategic moves and expecting the rest. There was, back in uh, World War II, there was a, a strategy that the U.S. Navy used um, in the Pacific Theater, World War II, of island hopping. Did you learn about this in school? So instead of, you know, instead of just kind of going, well, we, we captured this island in, in fighting Japan. Well, okay, and what's the next island? Let's get that one. They would do island hopping. Let's go to the next strategic place, and then if there's little ones behind us, they're not an issue. They're not going to be a problem. They, they, they won't be able to stand. Let's, let's make these strategic jumps. That, that's what Paul's doing. He's making these strategic jumps and expecting the rest of the gaps in between will be taken care of. What are the implications for us in this? It avoids, well, I, I, I'm jumping ahead. I want to say one more thing about the, the other reason that I think that this is implied here, not only the fact that he says there's nothing more for me to do in these regions when he didn't certainly go to every place, it avoids the mistake of that when it comes to unreached peoples, the point is not just to get one convert from every people group. That's not what he's doing. He's not coming in, uh, preaching a revival meeting, getting people to sign a few cards, let's move on. He's, so then we can say the job's done, Jesus can come back. No, Paul wants to present more and more people to God as an offering, but he knows, he knows his calling as a missionary, and he knows the role and the place and the responsibility of the church, the help of the church. That's what we need to get today. Now, some of the very earliest settlers here in Mount Morris were, were Christians. I mean, we had a seminary. This is why our street here is Seminary Avenue. Uh, the Methodists started a seminary in, right here at the center of town, at the very beginnings of this village. So if you were a missionary like Paul, you would say, okay, no more work here. Got it. Mount Morris is covered. We've got, we've got some believers here. We've got some established institutions and churches here that will carry the work forward. Okay, that's fine for Paul. That's fine for the missionary. Check the box. Move on. What about us? Because has everyone in our village heard about Jesus? Has everyone in our 
county heard the gospel clearly presented? Whose job is that? It's not the missionary. It's us. Now, it's great for us to support missionaries in ways that we'll see later in the text, but what if one of the primary ways that we support missionaries is by finishing the work that they start? Because the work is, again, is not just uh, preach a few sermons, get a few converts, and move on, but to see believers grounded in faith, churches established where, where people are looking out for one another and encouraging one another in the faith, and, are, and, and continuing to be a presence and a light taking Jesus to those whom have, who have not heard. That's what we do. I don't know whether our church will grow or shrink in the next five to ten years. I don't know. But this village doesn't need Christians living, who live here driving an hour away to go to church. It needs the presence of faithful believers shining the light here. Now, yes, it's true. We're shining the light, uh, uh, preaching the gospel where Christ has already been named. We're doing that. But let's make it our ambition so that no one here can say they've never heard. I know our congregation is spread out over several communities. I look out and I see people from Oregon and Forreston and even Byron and, and uh, surrounding areas. So, Make sure we're a light in your neighborhood individually. Let's work together to reach this village where we gather. This is the help of the church. Let's go to the next part. How does the church help? We contribute to the material needs of believers elsewhere. So we reach our own region with the gospel. We contribute to the material needs of believers elsewhere. It doesn't exclude um, caring for one another in the body, but... That's what we see here in this passage. In verse 25, Paul says that before he can go to Rome and then Spain, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. And he refers uh, just later than that to the, to the poor uh, that were there in Jerusalem. Now, this was some kind of financial assistance to the believers in Jerusalem who had some years earlier experienced a famine, perhaps still suffering from the economic fallout. And now I wonder, though, if this doesn't strike you as interesting. I mean, Paul had said earlier, his ministry is all about the gospel. His driving ambition is to preach to those who have not heard. He's writing, uh, we understand, this letter from Corinth in Greece to the believers in Rome. So he, he's, he's kind of something like 12 o'clock on the, you know, on the Mediterranean clock face. Um, he's, he's there, and he wants to go west to, let me see, i got to stand like this. He wants, to, he wants to go west to Rome and then to Spain, but he says, oh no, before I do that, I need to go to Jerusalem, to east, the complete opposite direction. What, what gives? I thought, what, what about that ambition? What about the driving passion? Once again, we have to understand just because the gospel is a priority, and really evangelism is the priority of the missionary, it does not exclude other work in the church that is also essential. You know this this to be true in your life as a Christian. Evangelism should be a priority, but it's not the only thing you do. There are other responsibilities you have in life, family, job, and even other responsibilities you have as a Christian. These include Uh, some care for the physical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We see this in Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 5, and the care for widows, specifically those who were alone, who had no other family to care for them in practical ways. 
And so while the church is, yes, focused on the work of making disciples, the Great Commission, introducing people to Jesus, establishing them in their faith, the life of the church does include caring for people in our own congregation and as needed beyond our own, as reflected here in this passage. Just like he mentions in verse 26, Macedonia and Achaia, those would be the churches of, uh, for example, of Philippi, uh, Philippians, Thessalonica, Corinth. Uh, These churches that we see reflected in the book of Acts and in the other New Testament letters, they had made contributions to this special offering. And Paul would deliver the aid, but the aid was collected from the churches. That's what I want you to see. That's how the church helped the missionary. Now, I said earlier we'd be announcing the, the special projects next week, and I'm sneaking some of that in the, the sermon here. We're not going to talk about numbers just yet, but because our speaker is the, the director of the EFCA Crisis Response, uh, as I mentioned earlier, currently working in places bordering the Ukraine, helping refugees, and in Florida, helping clean up after Hurricane Ian, when we give to those needs, it's not identical Uh, to the situation here in Romans 15. Paul really leans into the Jew-Gentile relationship that he's been uh, talking about the last few chapters, how in Christ, Gentiles really have have received spiritual blessings from the Jews when when you think of all that they have in Christ. So it makes sense that they would share material blessings in return, financial uh, gifts. And while this, that applies, we should still be concerned for Jewish believers. I don't think the application is limited to that. When we know there are brothers and sisters in Christ who, around the world who are in need, or we know that there are, or, and this will be very specific to our situation here with, with a EFCA crisis response. When we know there are missionaries who would gladly travel to places where there are great needs and would, would gladly take gifts from us, to help them in just to meet practical needs and to help them continue to be a light for the gospel where they are. Our part is in, in helping them is to give, and, and that's what we're going to be doing at our missions festival in just a few weeks. Let's go to the last part this morning. How does the church help? We provide prayer, hospitality, and resources for those who go. So, verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul's trip to Jerusalem is a mission of mercy but he anticipates some opposition from those who are not favorably disposed to Jesus Christ. Of course, there were those that crucified Jesus. There were those who had, they had killed some of the apostles. They were looking for, to do the same uh, to Paul. And you can see that that threat played out. What Paul anticipates in this letter plays out as you read Acts 21 and following when he did finally get to Jerusalem. You see Paul was mobbed by the Jews, apprehended by Roman soldiers, and ironically, that, was, that ended up being how he finally got to Rome as a prisoner, and not uh, first and foremost as a missionary. But of course, as a prisoner, 
he was a missionary. So now this is the help that Paul wanted from the church of Rome. He said, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Pray with me, pray for me. And of course that word strive should get our attention too, right? This is a word for struggling, for straining in the way that, a, that an athlete would do in just oh, running out, giving, the, giving 110%, the way that a soldier would do in, in fierce combat, struggling, straining. This is, that, that's probably not how we think of prayer. Um, you know, just maybe kneeling by your bed before you go to, or, or sitting in a chair with a, you know, your Bible and a cup of coffee. This is, that's all, that's all good. But this is not relaxed. This is not a few words mumbled before a meal. This is hard work and it's working together. Strive together with me. This is like a, a, a bunch of guys trying to move a piano, all right? Okay, ready? One, two, three. That's, that's, what, that's what he's calling for. Let's stri- strain, strive, work together. Okay, one, two, three. That's, that's how he's picturing prayer. Now, it's hard to strive together with a missionary when they're somewhere else around the world, like these folks were. The missionary, that missionary is somewhere else. They're the ones facing the conflict, and I'm just deciding, you know, this afternoon, whether, do I want to take a nap or do I want, do I want to watch the bears? Hard to, hard to strive together in that, in that when it feels so removed, so remote. It helps to stay informed. You can sign up for, sign up for missionary newsletters to, stay, to, to get a, more of a sense of what, what's going on. What are they doing? What are the challenges they're facing? You could, you could uh, contact the office. We would get you on our, our weekly prayer sheet, a sheet of prayer requests from our own church family and, and including some of our missionaries. You, you, can, you can strive together with us in, in prayer. Then, then commit, commit to sharing some of the load. Like, I, I want to bear part of the load here in prayer. And notice here, it is okay. It, it, it's, Paul is asking prayer for personal safety and ministry success, but notice how Paul ultimately submits to God's will. So, um, let me just read that again. Strive with me, together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judah, personal safety, ministry success, that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. You know, Paul ultimately submits to God's will in this. You know, I've been, you know how I've been wanting to come to you. Let's pray. Let's ask God. And if he wants me to get there, I'll get there. Now, the other support that I want us to see in this uh, part of the sermon is providing hospitality and various resources. Go back to verse 24. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. That helped on my journey sounds pretty maybe generic to us, but it's used, this word is used several times in the New Testament specifically to describe the way that churches would receive missionary travelers, not only giving them a place to stay, but meeting their other needs as well, food, money, traveling companions perhaps, um, you know, the passage on a ship and so on. 
So they would receive them, give them what they needed, and then send them on their way with whatever they needed to continue their journey, to continue the mission. What's important for us to see is this is much more than just a meal and a bed for the night. It's also about relationship that encourages both the missionary and the church. Do you see that? So verse 24 again, hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Paul's looking for for assistance, yes, practical stuff, finances, food, whatever, but he also wants to enjoy their company. We saw that again in verse 32 that I just read a moment ago. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Uh, I'm jumping around, but verse 29, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, a blessing for them. When we have missionaries come among us, like we will very soon, and we do on other occasional Sundays, let's, we, don't, we don't want to treat them like you know, traveling performers. Hey, hey, tell us a, a neat story. Show us pictures from, uh, about the weird things that people do in other, other countries. Uh, of, co- of course, we want to see uh, and hear how they've seen God at work in their ministry. We want to be encouraged by them, and we should want to be an encouragement to them. So that when they leave here, when they've come to Mount Morris, Illinois, and been among us, that they will leave better equipped spiritually, financially, than before they came. That they will be encouraged, strengthened for the work that God's called them to do. So that even though we are not all missionaries, we all need this passage. Yes, because God may call some of us to go, and He has. He has called some of some of us to go. In the past in this church, we've had some who have gone out to be missionaries. I pray that there will be more. But we all need, whether or not we go, we all need to have this same vision. For God to be glorified as more and more people are reconciled to Him through Christ, even though we may not all serve on the frontiers of missionary work, we do have the same ambition, the same desire, the same drive, the same heartbeat and we, we all do what we can where we are to make Christ known. Partnering with missionaries around the globe, partnering with each other here in Mount Morris and the Rock River Valley so that Jesus will be exalted, that God will be glorified. Paul's appeal to the believers in Rome still applies to us today. Catch this vision of missionary work and then commit to help as the church. May that be true of this church for as long as this church exists until the Lord Jesus comes back. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would not let us, do not allow us to forget this word. It is easy to read, to hear, and to move on. I am as guilty of that as anyone. God, I pray that you would not let us move on without renewing our commitment and receiving your grace in our lives 
your power at work in us to make this happen, that Christ would be made known here and everywhere. God, you are worth it. You are, you are the best thing that we could give to people, and people are the best thing we could give to you. Would you help us? And Lord, if you're calling some of us, oh God, we would, we would love to see that. Help us to be faithful partners with the missionaries we have, with the, in the, with the missionaries that you may be uh, summoning from us. Lord, we need, we need some folks to stay here. We need, we need some people to keep the gospel light burning here, but God, we, we, want, we would so love to see people go and take the light wherever they are. They are. We trust you for this, and we'll keep on praising you in Jesus' name. Amen.